Welcome everyone to episode 69 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and I've got a wild episode for you guys today. But first, I do have to apologize. I have been sick uh, these last few days, so if my voice isn't sounding just right, that's why. I'm sure that most of you remember the DC sniper attacks. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. The DC sniper attacks were a series of shootings that occurred over three weeks in October of 2002 throughout the Washington metropolitan area, consisting of Washington DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Ten people were killed and three others were critically wounded. The snipers were John Allen Muhammad, who was aged 41 at the time, and Lee Boyd Malvo, who was 17. They traveled in a blue 1990 Chevrolet Caprice. Over their crime spree, which began in February of 2002, included murders and robberies in several states, which resulted in seven deaths and seven injuries. In total, the snipers killed 17 people and wounded 10 others in a 10-month span. On February 16, 2002, 21-year-old cashier Kenya Nicole Cook was shot and killed by Malvo at the front door of her aunt's home in Tacoma, Washington. Cook's aunt, Isa Nichols, had been good friends with John Allen Muhammad's ex-wife Mildred and had encouraged her to seek a divorce. On March 19, 2002, Jerry Taylor, 60, was killed by a single shot to the chest, fired from long range as he practiced chip shots at a Tucson, Arizona golf course. Muhammad's sister lived near the golf course, and he was visiting her at the time of the shooting. Two deaths and four injuries followed in other states from March through July of 2002. On August 1st, 2002, John Gaeta, 51, was changing a tire slashed by Malvo at a parking lot in Hammond, Louisiana. Malvo then shot him in the neck. 
the bullet exited, exited through his back, and he pretended to be dead while Malvo stole his wallet. Gaeta then ran to a service station after Malvo had left and discovered that he was bleeding. He went to a hospital and was released within an hour. On March 1st, 2010, he received a letter of apology from him. On September 5th, 2002, at 10.30 p.m., Paul LaRuffa, a 55-year-old pizzeria owner, was shot six times at close range while locking up his Italian restaurant in Clinton, Maryland. He survived the shooting, and his laptop computer was found in Muhammad's car when he and Malvo were arrested. On September 14, 2002, 22-year-old Rupinder Benny Obiro, an employee of the Hillendale Beer and Wine Liquor Store in Silver Spring, Maryland, was shot in the back outside of the store. Obiro survived the shooting. The shooting was officially linked to Muhammad and Malvo by the Montgomery County Police Department. On September 15, 2002, Muhammad Rashid was shot while closing Three Roads Liquors in Brandywine, Maryland. Rashid later identified Malvo as the shooter in court. On September 21, 2002, at 12.15 a.m., 41-year-old Million A. Walden Merriam was fatally shot in the head and back with a 22 caliber pistol in Atlanta, Georgia. They were helping with the owner of a Sammy's package store closed up for the night when the shooting occurred. 19 hours later on the same day, Claudine Parker, a 52-year-old liquor store clerk in Montgomery, Alabama, was shot in the chest and killed during a robbery. Her co-worker, 24-year-old Kelly Adams, was critically wounded with a shot through the neck, but she survived. Evidence found at the crime scene eventually tied this killing to the Beltway attacks and allowed authorities to identify Muhammad and Malvo as the suspects, although this connection was not made until October 17th, almost four weeks later. On September 23, 2002, at 6.30 p.m., 45-year-old Hong M. Ballinger was shot in the head and killed with a Bushmaster rifle in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Muhammad and Malvo were later linked to this killing. At 5.20 p.m. on Wednesday, October 2, 2002, a shot was fired through the window of a Michael's Craft store in Aspen Hill, Maryland. The bullet narrowly missed Ann Chapman, a cashier at the store. Since no one was injured, the shot was assumed to be random, and no serious alarms were raised. However, approximately one hour later at 6.30 p.m., James Martin, a 55-year-old program analyst, was shot and killed in the parking lot of a Shoppers Food Warehouse grocery store located in Wheaton. On the morning of October 3rd, four people were shot dead within the span of two hours in Aspen Hill and other nearby areas of Montgomery County. Another was killed that evening in the Tacoma neighborhood of Washington, D.C. At 7.41 a.m., James L. Buchanan, a 39-year-old landscaper known as Sonny, was shot dead near Rockville, Maryland. Buchanan was shot while mowing the grass at the Fitzgerald Auto Malls. At 8.12 a.m., 
A 54-year-old part-time taxi driver, Prim Kumar, was killed in Aspen Hill in Montgomery County while pumping gas into his taxi at a mobile gas station at Aspen Hill. At 8.37 a.m., Sarah Ramos, a 34-year-old babysitter and housekeeper, was killed at the Leisure World Shopping, Shopping Center in Norbeck. She had gotten off of a bus and was seated on a bench reading a book at the time of her murder. At 9.58 a.m., 25-year-old Lorianne Lewis Riviera was killed while vacuuming her Plymouth Grand Voyager at the Shell Station in Kensington, Maryland. The snipers waited until 9.20 p.m. before shooting Pascal Charlotte, a 72-year-old retired carpenter, while he was walking on Georgia Avenue at Calamia Road in Washington, D.C. Charlotte died less than an hour later. In each shooting, the victims were killed by a single bullet fired from some distance, and in each case, the killer struck and vanished. This pattern was not detected until after the October 3rd shootings occurred. Fear would quickly spread throughout the region as news of the shooting spread. At a press conference meeting, Chief of Police from, from Montgomery County, Charles Moose, informed parents that the schools were on a code blue alert keeping children indoors. He said that the schools were safe. Many parents picked up their children early at school, not allowing them to take a school bus or walk home. Montgomery County Public Schools, District of Columbia Public Schools, and private schools went into a lockdown, with no recess or outdoor physical education classes. Other school districts in the area also took precautionary measures, keeping students indoors. During the course of the shootings, law enforcement agencies from neighboring states became embedded in the investigation through telephone tips. The police had only a few pieces of evidence to work with. One initial report said that right after the Silver Spring attack, someone had reportedly seen a white box truck hurriedly leaving the scene. After the murder in Washington, D.C., witnesses began telling police that they had seen a blue Chevy Caprice rather than a white box truck. The police initially believed that all of the murders were carried out with a 223 caliber rifle. At this point, Malvo and Muhammad started covering a wider area and taking two or three days between shootings. On October 4th, 43-year-old homemaker Caroline Sewell was wounded in the chest at 2.30 p.m. in the parking lot of another Michael's store at Sports, Sportsylvania Mall in Sportsylvania while she was loading, loading purchases into her minivan. By this point, hundreds of journalists had covered, converged to cover the unfolding events. School officials reassured the public that they were taking every measure possible to protect children by tightening security and canceling all outdoor activities. On October 7th at 8.09 a.m., Erin Brown, a 13-year-old student, was shot in the chest and critically wounded as he arrived at Benjamin Tasker Middle School in Prince George's County. His name was initially withheld from the public but was later revealed. His aunt Tanya was a nurse who had just dropped him off at school, and she rushed him to the hospital emergency room. Despite sustaining serious injuries, including damage to several major organs, 
Brown survived the attack and ultimately testified at Muhammad's trial. At this crime scene, the authorities discovered a shell casing as well as a tarot card inscribed with the phrase, Call Me God, on the front and on three separate lines on the back. For you, Mr. Police, code, Call Me God. Do not release to the press. Despite police efforts to honor the request not to release information about the card to the press, details were made public by WUSA-TV and then by the Washington Post just one day later. On October 9th at 8.18 p.m., 53-year-old civil engineer Dean Harold Myers was shot dead while pumping gas at a Sunoco gas station in Prince William County, Virginia. On the morning of October 11th at 9.30 a.m., 53-year-old businessman Kenneth Bridges was shot dead while pumping fuel at an Exxon station just off of Interstate 95 in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. And then on October 14th at 9.15 p.m., 47-year-old Linda Franklin, an FBI intelligence analyst who was a resident of Arlington County, was shot dead in a covered parking lot at Home Depot in Fairfax County, just outside Falls Church at Seven Corners Shopping Center. The police received what seemed to be a very good lead after the October 14th shooting, but it was later determined that the witness was inside the Home Depot at the time and was lying. The witness, Matthew Dowdy, was subsequently convicted of interfering with the investigation. By this point, gas stations had begun to put tarps up, tarps to conceal their customers. Malvo and Muhammad did not commit any more shootings for five days before finally striking again. On October 19th at 8 p.m., 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was shot in a parking lot near the Ponderosa Steakhouse in Ashland, Virginia, about 90 miles south of Washington, near Interstate 95. His wife Stephanie called out to passerbys who phoned for an ambulance, enabling Hopper to survive his injuries. The authorities discovered a four-page letter from the shooter in the woods that demanded $10 million and made a threat to children. On October 21st, Richmond Area Police arrested two men, one with a white van, outside of a gas station. The men turned out to be undocumented immigrants with no connection to the shooter. The pair were administered cavity searches and were remanded into federal custody. The next day, October 22nd, ride-on bus driver Conrad Johnson was shot at 5.56 a.m. while standing on the steps at the Grand P Road bus stop in Aspen Hill, Maryland. Johnson died of his injuries. On the same day, Chief Moose released part of the content of one of the shooter's letters in which he declares, Your children are not safe anywhere at any time. While no shootings occurred on October 23rd, the day is significant for two events. First, ballistics experts confirmed Johnson as the 10th fatality in the Beltway shootings. And second, in a yard in Tacoma, Washington, police searched with metal detectors for bullets, shell casings, or other evidence that might provide a link to the shooters.
A tree stump believed to have been used for target practice was seized. With seven separate shooting victims, including six deaths in the first 15 hours of the D.C. area spree, the North American media soon devoted extensive coverage to the shootings. By the middle of October 2002, all news television networks provided live coverage of the aftermath of each attack, with the coverage often lasting for hours at a time. The Fox show, America's Most Wanted, devoted an entire episode to the shooters in hopes of aiding in their capture. Much of the coverage of the case in the New York Times was written by Jason Blair and subsequently found to be fabricated. The ensuing scandal resulted in the resignations of the newspaper's two top editors, Howell Raines and Gerald Boyd. During the weeks when the attacks occurred, public fear mounted of the apparently random shootings, especially in relation to such sites as gas stations and parking lots of large stores, where many had taken place. People pumping gas at the gas stations kept moving, hoping to present a smaller target. Lisa Notgrass of Lake Jackson, Texas, recommended to media that the gas stations put up tarps around the awnings over the fuel pumps so people would feel safer. Also, many people with access tried to fuel their vehicles at the naval base of the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, as they felt that it was safer inside the guarded fence. Government buildings such as the White House, the U.S. Capitol, and the Supreme Court building and memorial tourist attractions at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. also received heightened security. For the duration of the attacks, United States Senate pages received a driven police escort to and from the United States Capitol every day and were not allowed to leave their residence hall for any reason except work. Drivers of white vans and box trucks were viewed with suspicion from other motorists, as initial media reports indicated that the suspect might be driving such a vehicle. After the specific threat against children was delivered, Many school groups canceled field trips and outdoor athletic activities based upon safety concerns. At the height of the public fear, some school districts closed school for the day. Other schools canceled all outdoor activities after the shooting at the Connecticut and Aspen Hill intersection. Others changed after school procedures for parents to pick up their kids to minimize the amount of time the children spent in the open. Extra police officers were placed in schools because of this fear. The film Phone Booth was deemed potentially upsetting enough that its release was delayed until April of 2003. The investigation was publicly headed by the Montgomery County Police Department and its chief Charles Moose. The ATF, the FBI, the U.S. Secret Service, the Virginia Department of Transportation and police departments in other jurisdictions where shootings took place provided assistance in the investigation. Police responded within minutes to reports of attacks during the three weeks of the sniper attacks, cordoning off nearby roads and highways and inspecting all drivers, thereby grinding traffic to a halt for hours at a time. Police canvassed the area, talking to people and collected surveillance tapes. By Friday night, October 4th, the five shootings on October 3rd and two on October 2nd were forensically linked to the same gun. 
Eyewitness accounts of the attacks were mostly confused and spotty. Hotlines set up for the investigation were flooded with tips. Early tips from eyewitnesses included reports of a white box truck with dark lettering speeding away from the Leisure World shopping center with two men inside. Police across the area in the state of Maryland were pulled over white vans and trucks. A gray car was spotted speeding away after the October 4th shooting. The shooter attempted to engage the police in a dialogue, compelling Moose to tell the media cryptic messages intended for the sniper. At several scenes of the shootings, tarot cards were left as calling cards, including one death card upon which was written, Call Me God, on the front, and on the back, on the three separate lines, the words, For you, Mr. Police, call me God, do not release to the press. Then this information was leaked to the press and misquoted often as I am God or some similar misquote of the actual words on the tarot card. At later scenes of crimes, the shooter left long handwritten notes sealed inside of plastic bags, including a rambling one that demanded $10 million and threatened the lives of children in the area. A telephone call from the shooters was traced to a payphone at a gas station in Henrico County, Virginia. The police missed a suspect by a matter of just a few minutes and initially detained occupants of another van at another pay telephone at the same intersection. On the phone call, the sniper, boasting of his cleverness, mentioned a previous unsolved murder in Montgomery. This was identified as a September 21st shooting at a liquor store in Montgomery, Alabama. On October 17th, authorities said that they had matched Malvo's fingerprint found on the Benjamin Tasker Middle School site with one lifted from the Montgomery liquor store scene. After confirming the link between these two crimes, the FBI was able to link these fingerprints to Malvo due to his fingerprinting during a previous arrest in Washington State. After further research into Malvo's background, the police found that he had close ties to John Allen Muhammad. Despite an apparent lack of progress publicly, federal authorities were making significant headway in their investigation and developed leads in the Washington State, Alabama, and New Jersey. They learned that Muhammad's ex-wife, who had obtained protective order against him, lived near the Capitol Beltway in Clinton, a community in suburban Prince George's County, Maryland, adjacent to Montgomery County. Information was also developed about an automobile purchased in New Jersey by Muhammad. Police discovered that the New Jersey license plate number issued for Muhammad's 1990 Chevy Caprice had been checked by radio patrol cars several times near the shooting locations in various jurisdictions in several states. But the car had not been stopped because law enforcement computer networks did not indicate that it was connected to any criminal activity and they were focused exclusively on the white van. On October 3, 2002, police in Washington, D.C. stopped a Caprice for a minor traffic infraction two hours prior to the shooting of Pascal Charlotte. Witnesses later reported seeing a Caprice near the scene of his shooting. On October 8, 2002, Baltimore Police Department investigated a dark blue Chevy Caprice parked near the Jones Fall Expressway 
at 28th Street in Baltimore with a person sleeping inside. The officers were concerned that the driver's license was from Washington State while the vehicle was registered in New Jersey. Although the vehicle was suspicious enough for them to investigate and it fit the description of a vehicle associated with the shooting in Washington, D.C. five days earlier, the officers did not question the occupants extensively, nor did they search the vehicle. The authorities were quick to issue a media alert to the public to be on the lookout for a dark blue Chevy Caprice. For the public, as well as for law enforcement agencies throughout the region, this was a major change from the mysterious white box truck earlier sought based upon reported sightings. The Chevy Caprice was later discovered to have been formally used as an undercover police car in Bordentown, New Jersey. The crime spree came to a close at 3.15 a.m. on October 24, 2002, when Muhammad and Malvo were found sleeping in their car at the rest stop off of Interstate 70 near Myersville, Maryland, and were arrested on federal weapons charges. Police were tipped off by two 911 calls from individuals at the rest stop. Four hours earlier, Montgomery County Police Chief Charles Moose had relayed this cryptic message to the sniper. You have indicated that you want us to do and say certain things. You have asked us to say, we have caught the sniper like a duck in a noose. We understand that hearing us say this is important to you. Moose asked the media to carry the message accurately and often. This statement may refer to Cherokee fable. Trooper First Class D. Wayne Smith of the Maryland State Police was the first to arrive at the scene and immediately used his light blue unmarked police vehicle to block off the exit by positioning the car sideways between two parked tractor trailers. As more troopers arrived, they effectively sealed off the rest area at both the entrance and exit ramps without the suspects being aware of the rapidly growing police presence. Later, as truck driver Ron Lance was attempting to exit the rest area, his tractor trailer was commandeered by troopers who used the truck in place of the police car to complete the roadblock at the exit. With the suspect's escape route sealed off, the SWAT officers moved in to arrest them. A stolen Bushmaster 223 caliber weapon and bipod were found in a bag in Muhammad's car. Ballistic tests later conclusively linked the seized rifle to 11 of the 14 shootings, including one in which no one was hurt. Investigators and the prosecution suggested during pre-trial motions that Muhammad intended to kill his second ex-wife Mildred, who he felt had estranged him from his children. According to this hypothesis, the other shootings were intended to cover up the motive for the crime. Muhammad believed that the police would not focus on an estranged ex-husband of a suspect if Mildred appeared to be a random victim of a serial killer. During the attacks, Muhammad frequented the neighborhood where she lived, and some of the incidents occurred nearby. Additionally, he had earlier made threats against her. Mildred herself said that she was his intended target, claiming that when the police first approached her, one officer said, Mrs. Muhammad, didn't you know that you were the target? However, Judge Leroy F. Millett Jr. prevented prosecutors from presenting that theory during the trial, saying that the link had not been firmly established. 
While imprisoned, Malvo wrote a number of erratic diatribes with what he termed jihad against the United States. I've been accused on my mission. Allah knows that I'm going to suffer now, he wrote, because his rants and drawings featured not only such figures as Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein, but also characters from the film series The Matrix. These musings were dismissed as immaterial. Some investigators reportedly said that they had all but eliminated terrorist ties or political ideologies as a motive. Nonetheless, in at least one of the ensuing murder trials, a Virginia court found Muhammad guilty of killing pursuant to the direction of order of terrorism. At the 2006 trial of Muhammad, Malvo testified that the aim of the killing spree was to kidnap children for the purpose of extorting money from the government and to, quote, set up a camp to train children how to terrorize cities, with the ultimate goal being to shut things down across the United States. Malvo also stated that Muhammad was driven by his hatred for white people and his belief that the white man is the devil. His plan was to kill six white people per day for 30 days, and he told Malvo he wanted him to shoot the pregnant white woman. Before the trial, Chief Moose engaged in a publicity tour for his book on the sniper investigation, including appearances on Dateline NBC, The Today Show, and The Tonight Show. Assistant Prince William County Commonwealth's attorney, James Willett, told the Washington Post, Personally, I don't understand why someone who's been in law enforcement his whole life would potentially damage our case or compromise a jury pool by doing this. Change of venue requests by defense attorneys were granted, and the first trials were held in the independent cities of Chesapeake and Virginia Beach in southeastern Virginia, more than 100 miles from the closest alleged attack in Ashland, Virginia. During their trials in the fall of 2003 involving two of the victims in Virginia, Muhammad and Malvo were each found guilty of murder and weapons charges. The jury in Muhammad's case rep recommended that he be sentenced to death, while Malvo's jury recommended a sentence of life in prison without parole instead of the death penalty. The judges concerned, concurred in both cases. Alabama law enforcement authorities alleged that the snipers engaged in a series of previously unconnected attacks prior to October 2nd in Montgomery, Alabama. After the initial convictions and sentencing, Will Jarvis, the assistant Prince William County prosecutor, stated that he would wait to decide whether to try Malvo on capital charges in his jurisdiction until the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on whether juveniles may be subject to the penalty of execution. While that decision in an unrelated case was still pending before the High Court in October of 2004 under a plea agreement, Malvo pled guilty in another case in Spotsylvania County for another murder to avoid a possible death penalty sentence and agreed to additional sentencing of life imprisonment without parole. Malvo had yet to face trial in Prince William County. In March 2005, the Supreme Court ruled in Roper v. Simmons that the Eighth Amendment prohibits execution for crimes committed when under the age of 18. In light of this Supreme Court decision, the prosecutors in Prince William County decided not to pursue the charges against Malvo. Prosecutors in Maryland, Louisiana, and Alabama were still interested in putting both Malvo and Muhammad on trial. 
As Malvo was 17 when he committed the crimes, he can no longer face the death penalty, but still could be extradited to Alabama, Louisiana, and other states for prosecution. At the time of the Robert v. Simmons ruling, Malvo was 20 years old and was held at Virginia's maximum security Red Onion State Prison in Poundwise County. Muhammad, with his sniper team partner Malvo, randomly selected innocent victims. Virginia Supreme Court Justice Donald Lemons wrote in the decision, With calculation, extensive planning, premeditation, and ruthless disregard for life, Muhammad carried out his cruel scheme of terror. Muhammad's death penalty was affirmed by the Virginia Supreme Court on October 22, 2005, when it ruled that he could be sentenced to death because the murder was part of an act of terrorism. This line of reasoning was based on the handwritten note demanding $10 million. The court rejected an argument by defense lawyers that Muhammad could not be sentenced to death because he was not the trigger man in the killings linked to him in Malvo. On September 16, 2009, the circuit court judge Mary Grace O'Brien set an execution date by lethal injection of November 10, 2009. His attorneys petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to stay his execution, but it was denied. They also requested clemency from Virginia Governor Tim Kaine, but this was denied as well. Muhammad was executed by lethal injection at the Greensville Correctional Center in Jarrett, Virginia on November 10, 2009. The execution procedure began at 9.06 p.m. Muhammad was pronounced dead five minutes later. It was reported that when asked if he had any last words, Muhammad made no reply. 27 people, including victims, family members, witnessed his execution. Well, that is going to do it for today, and I do apologize once more for my voice. This has been a rough one for me to record tonight. Thank you all for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed the story. If you could, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find us. Don't forget to share with your friends and family, and make sure that you join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider to help support the show by subscribing on Patreon, with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.